Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of The Invisible World of Jeremy Jones, where it's not so much about how to live your best life, but how to show up and live your life. Thanks for joining. Listen, I want you to know that I'm so glad you are here. I love this space that we share. Today we are sharing episode 25, Lifeboats. Not one, not two, but part three. It's interesting to me, in the first two Lifeboat series, we talked about how to find lifeboats, why we need them, how to get them in the water quicker when we are sinking how to minimize damage, how to cope and handle with the transition of leaving a fancy to the nines Titanic sinking ship and be okay with a modest lifeboat. Be okay to be in transition. After all, the lifeboat is transporting us to solid ground. And then I had shared some of my own lifeboat examples of friends and family and resources. You remember Be humble enough to search and use the lifeboats around you. Ask questions. Ask for help. Be curious. Get all those lifeboats jammed up full like sardines. See, I used to believe that the smart ones were the ones who were so good, so clever. They're, They're so successful. They never have to ask anybody for help. But now, ah. I think I think the smart ones are the ones who have an abundance of lifeboats. Always have their lifeboats in the water. Could could be could it be that the greater strength is asking for help? Interesting. Good takeaways, right? We we played the white chess pieces. And now it's time to stand up. Will you stand up with me? Please stand up. Please stand up and walk to the other side of the table and play the black pieces. Opposite perspective. So then the question is, yes, yes, there are times that we need not look for a lifeboat. Not, not, it's not about who can help us because in the natural law of equanimity, we need to also offer to launch. We need to be the lifeboat for someone else. Save, mate. Okay, back to the Titanic. Lifeboat number eight was loaded with 28 people, which, by the way, was less than half full, under the supervision of second officer Lightoller and launched at about 1 a.m. with Captain Smith and Chief Officer Wild participating. Boat eight was the first lifeboat on the port side to be lowered. First-class passenger Ida Strauss, wife of mega-successful New York merchant Isidore Strauss, was asked to join a group of people preparing to board, but she refused, saying, I will not be separated from my husband. As we have lived, so we will die together. The 67-year-old Isidore, the husband, likewise, On account of his age and status, they offered the boat to him, but he refused an offer to board, saying, 
I do not wish any distinction in my favor which is not granted to others. It gets better. According to a friend and Titanic survivor, Colonel Archibald Gracie IV, Ida gave her maid her fur coat and insisted that she get into the lifeboat. Isidore and Ida were last seen on deck, arm in arm. Eyewitnesses describe the scene as a most remarkable exhibition of love and devotion. Mrs. Strauss's maid, whose name was Ellen Bird, she did survive. She recounted how the husband, Isidore, refused to go while there were still women and children remaining on the ship. And he did urge his wife to board, and she did refuse. Uh, she said, uh, We have lived together for many years. Where you go, I go. <laughs> Her words were witnessed by those already in lifeboat number eight, as well as many others who were on the boat deck at the time. Isidore and Ida. They had seven kids, and Isidore was a prominent man. He was a respected diplomat. He was a U.S. representative for New York State, and he was a co-owner of the booming Macy's department store. This guy, he was contributing. He was in the flow. He was raising the average up. If anybody deserved to be on the rescue list, every case could be made for this guy. When the survivors of the disaster right, arrived in New York City aboard the RMS Carpathia, many, including Ellen Byrd, told reporters of Mrs. Strauss's loyalty and fidelity to her husband. Her story struck a chord with people around the world. Rabbis spoke to their congregations about her sacrifice. Articles in Yiddish and German language newspapers extolled her courage. A popular song featuring the story of Ida Strauss, called The Titanic's Disaster, became popular among Jewish Americans. Now, Ida's story, which is cool for me because my great aunt, a twin with my grandma, is actually named Ida. Anyway, anyway, look at the Strauss couple, how powerful their invisible world was. The power of love was in their invisible world. It doesn't have to be romantic love, because love is not just romantic. Love is everywhere and can be in everyone. May I, may I love and forgive myself today. May I love and forgive you today. May I love and forgive my, my enemy today? The one who intentionally hurt and stole from me or gossiped about me, May all people today be love. May we be one, like in one giant lifeboat. Let's look closer at Isidore Strauss. He is a what? He's a Harland and Wolf top-of-the-line lifeboat. Oh, man. See, Ida didn't need to get into a wooden lifeboat. Instead, she wrapped her arms around her spouse. Hey, this is my lifeboat. It made me so curious. Can I be that kind of spouse? That kind of friend? That kind of brother? That kind of cousin? Worker? Student? Uncle? Neighbor? Can, can you be a lifeboat for someone? 
dash in and rescue them in a big way, in a small way, help give them safe passage to their next destination. My son started school last week. First day, comes home and announces that his second grade Spanish teacher is the best teacher he's ever had and that school, quote, was amazing. Oh, I see it. His teacher is being a lifeboat for my son. Want to talk about goals in life? What, what are your goals? Do you write them down? Here's one of mine. I want someone to tell me, hey, Jones, you're one of my lifeboats. Maybe, just maybe, there's a better way to gauge my image my contribution. Maybe it's not those visible world symbols, the house, the car, the clothes, where my kids go to school, what team I made, what job I have, how much money I have and my investments. Do I want people at my funeral to talk about how sharp my truck was? (laughs) Yeah, you should have seen his truck. It was top of the line. Even had like a panoramic roof. Oh, whoo, so So nice, huh? Or do I want them to say, oh, this guy. See, this guy here was my lifeboat during such and such time in my life. And and I was his when he needed help. As I've been going on my journey the past few months, I've been telling people who've been helping me. I've had some big, messy, embarrassing problems lately. So I've had some people helping me. And... Also, my little trivial problems I've had were like where I drop my keys and someone's there to scoop them up. I tell them, thank you. Thanks for being my lifeboat. You're one of my lifeboats. Yeah. I'm trying to get as many of those as I can. Back to Isidore. Yeah. He's telling them, listen, I don't need special treatment because I'm rich, smart, powerful, because I've already made a big difference in humanity. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, if you listened in on one of my personal prayers, sometimes it's kind of like I'm asking for some breaks, maybe even some preferential treatment. Sort of seems like I, I pray to find lifeboats. Instead, rather better, better said, in addition to, can, can we also pray to be a lifeboat? Because we are all in this together. I'm in the middle of a messy situation of moving and renovating a house. It's been a very interesting experience for me. Some of you know about this, and I will be doing an episode about it later when I get a little bit further out of the weeds. But I've noticed how badly I want people to be impressed with the size and the scope and the design of my house. I want them to see my house and think, wow, this guy's successful. I shouldn't admit it to you, but it's true. It's true. I care what people think of my image. Right now, my house has been demoed, and it's in the rehab stage, and it looks pretty shabby. It's made me think about Gandhi, right? Remember earlier episode? We talked about him being assassinated with like $3 to his name, and yet there were... Ready? Ready? Try to picture this. There were... Two million people in his funeral procession. A procession that curved around for five miles. 
two million people, five miles, that didn't care at all what kind of house Gandhi lived in, how much money he had. But I get stuck and muddled on this image flypaper. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. What if they don't think I've been successful with work or with my investments? And I find myself explaining, justifying to people, oh, yeah, listen, I mean, I could be in a nicer neighborhood, but a much cooler house, whatever. But I just bought this one because I wanted to be in the school boundaries and blah, 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 blah. I'm not anti-nice house or anti-money. It's fine. It's fine. It's just the mistake I've caught myself making is... It's how I've been weighing my value, my self-image. To speak millennial, it's how I weigh my brand. And for too long, my happiness has been tied to the success of my portrayed image, the brand. Now, here's a quote from Christopher Hill and his book that I just read called Success is a Way of Life, which I totally recommend. Listen to this. And you tell me if this doesn't feel like truth. Okay. Quote, look into your soul now and look at the way you live and measure your self-image by and measure your self-image by the love you share. The fire of enthusiasm you have for the life is the measure of your success. For success is a way of life. Okay, let's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Success is a way of life. Is the book and the quote is, look into your soul now and look at the way you live and measure your self-image by the love you share. The fire of enthusiasm you have for life is the measure of your success. Right? Measure your self-image not by your house, not by your likes, your followers, your bottom line, your ability to be a minimalist, not your ability to be a maximizer, not the downloads, not the test score, not the curb appeal of your house, but what, come on with me, measure your self-image by the love you share. See, I believe Gandhi was asking himself every day, like, oh, man, how can I share this love with me? What can I do? How can I help? And I see all this drastic, tragic, serious problems, poverty, slavery, human rights. Well, I'll find a way to help because I have so much love within me. And how can I share this? I mean, the five-mile procession was a byproduct of the love that he radiated. Okay, mm, back to the Titanic again. You are no doubt familiar with the famous band who played during the sinking of the titanic come on you've seen the movie i know you know what i'm talking about let's talk about that for a quick minute See, after the titanic hit an iceberg and began to sink a musician named hartley and his fellow seven other band members um eight of them ages 21 to 40 years old they started playing music to help keep the passengers calm as the crew loaded the lifeboats Many of the survivors said that Hartley and the band continued to play until the very end. Reportedly, their final tune was the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. I like this quote. It's by a second-class passenger who said, 
Many brave things were done that night, but none were more brave than those done by men playing minute after minute as the ship settled quietly lower and lower in the sea. The music they played served alike as their own immortal requiem and their right to be recalled on the scrolls of undying fame. Interesting. There's no account, no story in any of the history books that these guys put down their instruments and ran over to the lifeboats and elbowed people around and demanded that they take over to lower the lifeboats. Like, of course not. They were musicians, not ship officers, not sailors. They weren't trained in how to lower a a lifeboat. That wasn't their talent, not their skill. How useful is a musician during the sinking of a boat? It turns out, monumental. It turns out, historical. Instead of focusing on the tragedy, instead of every man for himself, they pulled out their trusty road map. Hmm, let's see. Let's see here. It says here that uh, self-image is measured by how much love we share. How can I be a lifeboat with the skills I have? How can you? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a sailor. You don't have to be a construction builder person. You don't have to be Miss USA. You don't have to be valedictorian. You don't have to be a tech coder expert. You don't have to be a musician. But the best way through is to be yourself, Jones. Know yourself. Know your talents. Use your talents. Don't just bury your talents. Use them. All you need is just be you. We'll get into this on a future episode, but in December 1752, someone who had no previous military experience was made a commander of the Virginia militia. His name was George Washington. No previous military experience. Goes on to make a lot of mistakes in many battles. But, man, did he love his cause. He kept sharing his love and doing what he could. The fate of unborn millions depends on the courage of this army. We can focus on what we can't do. and We can focus on what we're afraid of. Or we can focus on what we can do and focus on what we love. Are you with me? You're with me, right? I don't want to keep going unless I know you're with me, so tell me that you're with me. I'm with you. Okay. All right, you're right here with me. Where is the Titanic iceberg now? This massive iceberg that split a great steel vessel that took the lives of so many, this beastly chunk of ice that tore through an unsinkable ship. That was the cause for so much loss in life and humanity that seared the history pages with damage and awe. Like, where is this iceberg? It kept floating south until it reached warmer waters. And eventually, the massive iceberg melted away. Everything passes There are some things in my life, if I'm keeping it, you know, 
one hundy with you that I really just need to hit head on and stop sweeping it under the carpet. Not just be positive, but I need to look at it square in the eye. Keep inviting and understanding the pain and discomfort. Do I hit it head on? Or perhaps I turn my coordinates sufficiently early on so I you know, can miss, miss it altogether. The Titanic did get a warning about iceberg-ridden waters but didn't embrace change enough. Hmm? Didn't change coordinates enough. I've done that. I'm not judging. I'm connecting. I've done the exact same thing. If I would have heeded the earlier warnings, then I would have missed the iceberg and it would have just eventually passed, just melted. Can we get better at heeding the early warning? Can we trust our gut a little more each day? Can that be a goal too? It's so easy to pull the weedy noxious shoot out of the ground early on. I can flick it with my thumb when it's small. But if I ignore the early warning, oh man, it's just a weed, right? But it grows and it spreads and it gets stronger. And then I need tools and shovels and axes until it's unbearable. And I have to spend all day cleaning out my garden instead of just flicking the weed with my thumb early on. I could have been done, lickety split, then poured a lemonade and been working on my podcast. What's interesting about Isidore and Ida... What's interesting about the Titanic musicians, see, they were all in the same circumstance, all in the same boat, as they say. A sinking one at that. Memento mori. Memento mori, remember you have to die. You have to die. But right now, we're all alive. And the proper function of man is to live, not just exist. We're all in the same circumstance. So, how do we? We're all in the same boat. Okay, then, what can we do? Can we give our fur coat to someone, send someone else on that lifeboat, play music to comfort those around us? We all have different skills, different talents. Are we believing in those skills and sharing them generously? My podcast is a lifeboat for for me and hopefully for others too. I hope so. When I think about being a lifeboat, I think about living the good. And then I think about, when I think about living the good, I think about one of my favorite songs by LeGrand Hutchings, Live the Good, appended to the show notes. Take a click and a listen there. Some of the lyrics are, uh, the good, it's in so many paths. The good, it's in so many hearts. It will find you. If it hasn't found you, just wait. It sits up high and watches low in victory and every blow. It can't be lost. We all belong. It's the gate. We flourish and fade. Open your mind and see it's in everything we know. We breathe it in. In the hand of a friend, it's the light around the bend. It's in life-giving blue and in darkness, too. There was a time I let it go. It slipped down just below. I see it now. It was with me all along. Live the good. Lower your lifeboats. Use whatever unique skills you have to be a lifeboat for those around you. Maybe, maybe you're the human, like, actually lowering the lifeboats and the ropes running through your hands. 
Or maybe you don't know how to steer ships and lower boats. Maybe you don't know math, but you know how to make people laugh. Maybe you don't know how to install a bathroom vanity, but you can play music. Keeps people calm. I mean, those musicians gave a celestial lifeboat to everyone who was not in a wooden one. Age and skill didn't matter. They did what they could, living the good. Jones, bet on yourself today. Because the world needs who you are meant to be. Because I need who you are meant to be.